So in chapter 9, which is a continuation and a connection, what's basically happening in chapter 9 is Paul says, let me share with you about my own life and my own example about how I give up my rights as well for the sake of others. So chapter 9 is like Paul going into himself, his life, as a personal illustration of how, hey, I practice what I preach. I also give up rights for the sake of others. Now, we're going to go through the whole chapter. It's 27 verses, but there's a lot going on here. And um, in order to help us, you know, maybe not get lost because of there's a lot going on here. Let me just give you a big picture outline of what I think is happening here in this chapter. So in the first half, verses 1 through 14, Paul talks about the rights that he has as an apostle, specifically to receive financial support from the Corinthian church for what he does in his ministry, um, but how he surrenders those rights. He doesn't take the money from them, so he surrenders his rights. In verses 15 through 23, Paul talks about the rewards that he gains by surrendering those rights. Because he surrenders those rights, he gets something actually out of that. And he talks about what it is that he gains, what his reward is. And then in the final verses of the chapter, 24 through 27, he gives an exhortation, an encouragement, a challenge to the Corinthians uh, that also serves as a warning as well. But um, he encourages and exhorts them. So this is the big picture of what's happening in this chapter as we go through it, and, and hopefully it will help us to um, kind of have our bearings and an orientation in terms of what's happening here. So let's go first and dive in verse by verse into 1 through 14. Paul says here, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Now, as we read through the first 14 verses, you're going to be able to tell that Paul is pretty heated, or it feels that way. He is um, pretty impassioned in what he's saying here. This is not just simply an answer to the Corinthians question. It's not just like, now let me tell you about my own example of how I don't exercise my rights. But there's something going on here. He is defending his calling as an apostle to the Corinthians. Now, why is that? Now, one of the reasons for that probably is because, because Paul was not taking financial support from the Corinthian church, to the Corinthians, that was proof to them that Paul actually wasn't really an apostle. Okay, so we'll get into that a little bit more. So Paul is defending his own apostleship. And he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Oh, you guys think that, you know, Peter is really cool because he got to see Jesus and he spent three and a half years with him. But hey, I saw Jesus too. I wasn't with the, the 12 apostles, but Jesus appeared to me when I was on the Damascus road and he called me to serve him. I saw Jesus as well. They weren't the only ones. I also saw him. I'm no less than an apostle. And actually, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? The proof that I'm an apostle is actually you. Apostles, what do they do? They go into new territory where the gospel isn't. 
They preach the gospel. They plant churches. They build up churches. And I was the one who brought the gospel to Corinth to you guys. You are the very proof that I am an apostle. The proof is in the pudding. You're the pudding. I'm the apostle. I shouldn't have to defend myself to you. If, if others are apostles to you, then I am all the more because I'm the one that actually planted this church. This is my defense. He's defending his apostleship. Now, in verse four, he gets into the finances part here. Remember, he's not taking financial support from them. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? He's talking about them providing finances to provide for his food, probably a place where he can stay to support him as he is ministering to the Corinthian church and preaching the gospel there in Corinth. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? What Paul is saying is, you know, it's probably quite unwise for, you know, us as apostles to be separated from our wives for two or three months or six months at a time as we go around the Mediterranean and plant churches. It'd be really good to be able to be together with our wives. That's really wise. Um, and what the churches would do is oftentimes they would also support them as a family. Paul's saying, is, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a wise, natural thing? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Do all the other guys deserve support, but just me and Barnabas, we're the only ones that don't deserve support? We know that Paul, in order to make ends meet, made tents. He, he picked that up as, as um, something that he was able to do. So Paul had a side hustle. He made tents. Paul had an Etsy store, and the Etsy store sold tents made by the Apostle Paul because he didn't take any money from the Corinthian church. He didn't have enough money to make ends meet. So he had a side hustle in order to be able to buy food, have a place to stay, and that's what he did. He had an Etsy store selling tents. But he goes on, he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Just, that, that's not normal, right? Those people, you know, we're here and we're preaching the gospel and we should be supported for that, Paul's saying, do soldiers serve at their own expense? If you were to sign up and enlist in the U.S. Army and you were to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and I want to do my patriotic duty, I want to serve my country, and you go and you say, you know, I, I, oh, I want to drive a tank. I think I could be really good at that. And I want to serve my country by driving tanks. And you enlist there and you show up in the first day. You say, hey, I want to drive tanks. They say, all right, that's awesome. You can drive a tank, but it's going to cost you $4 million. You say, what? They say, yeah, $4 million. That's how much it costs us to buy these tanks. So if you want to drive a tank, it's pretty fun, right? You got to pay us $4 million. Would, that, would the army say that? No. Because what, are, what soldier serves at his own expense? That makes no sense. You're going there to serve in the army, to serve your country. They're going to provide the tank for you. They're going to provide your kit. They're going to provide your assault rifle. They're going to provide everything that you need because you are a soldier there serving your country. They don't make you pay for the things that you have. They don't make you pay for your food. Paul's saying, why should I, as an apostle, serve as an apostle at my own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? 
He goes on, he says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? So Paul's saying here that not only does this make sense, but even in the Old Testament, in the law, this was a principle that God taught. In Deuteronomy chapter five, there was a law there that said, when you have an ox and it's treading out the grain for you, don't muzzle it. So what they would do is that they would take the grain that they harvested and they would throw it on like a threshing floor or like a mill, someplace like that, and they would take oxen and the oxen would come and they would make the oxen walk and trample, trample the wheat that was there. And what that would do is it would break apart the wheat so that the chaff got separated from the kernels, kernels of wheat, the grain, and the oxen would, would break it up and then the farmer would come and you know, take his pitchfork and throw everything up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away, right? And the, the remaining grain would fall down onto the ground. And the oxen were the one that were breaking it up. And, and in the law in Deuteronomy, it said, when the oxen is, is breaking up this grain, don't muzzle it, let it eat, let it eat. That'd be, that'd be cruel. If, it's, if this ox is making food for you to not let it have a bite, no, no, just let it eat. When it wants to eat, when it gets hungry while it's treading out the grain, let it eat. And Paul says here, is, is really God, is his deepest concern the ox? We know that the Old Testament, all of it was written to point forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying the deeper truth here, what God is really concerned about here is about those who serve in the gospel ministry. That those who are serving in, in providing spiritual food for the people and preaching the gospel, they should also be able to eat as well and be provided for. And Paul says here in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So Paul's saying, for me, for Barnabas, you know, we are here sowing spiritual things among you. We're preaching the word of God. We're teaching the word of God. We're discipling. We're counseling. We're building up the church. We're investing in all of you spiritually. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? Is it too much? Is it not appropriate then that you provide for us physically food, our clothing, our shelter, so that we can focus on the ministry of the word of God? Um, he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Apparently, there were others, maybe other apostles or other people who were being supported by the Corinthian church, but they were not supporting Paul. They didn't think that he was really an apostle. So Paul's saying, don't we deserve that as well? But Paul says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying here very clearly, 
he does not receive financial support from the Corinthian church. He did not, he has this right, as we've been talking about in chapter eight, Paul's talking about rights. He's been establishing this, this fact. He deserves financial support. He's investing his time and his energy into building up that church. He has this right, but he wasn't making use of it. He said he would endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, the question is this, what, what obstacle, Paul? What, what obstacle is there that would come from him receiving financial support that led him to not take it from the Corinthians, that led him to work day and night in the daytime, you know, ministering or, or at the nighttime ministering in the other off hours, sewing tents together and selling them in order to be able to have enough food to make a living? What was this obstacle that was out there? Well, it was probably other people who were taking advantage of gospel ministry and saw it as a means of gain. They saw being a, 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 an, an apostle as a way to make money for themselves. This is probably what was happening at Corinth because in the second letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So it seems like in Corinth, um, there were people that were going around and they claimed to be apostles. They said, hey, I can do ministry. Let me come and preach the word of God. Let me come and help your church. But their real reason for doing that was to make money. That was their goal. And because of this, these people were giving the gospel a bad name. And there were some people who began to think about the church, who began to think about apostles or gospel ministry as a scam. Oh, those guys, they just want money. That's why they're doing that. Can you imagine people thinking the church is about money? Who ever heard of such a thing? I'm being ironic, of course. It was a thing in Corinth just as it is today, oftentimes, in many different places around the world. And Paul is saying, because of this reality, because some people may think that my message is insincere, what I'm doing is insincere, I don't want to give anybody that opportunity to think that. I don't want anybody not coming to Jesus because they think this thing is about money. So therefore, I have not made use of my right to receive support from you. I'm not going to do it. I had a friend who was a pastor who told me that um, one person in this church, uh, her father was very much against the church and Christianity because he thought, oh man, that whole thing, it's about money. So this parishioner was like, hey, can you, can you come and talk to my dad and, and just try to reach out to him and share the gospel message with him? And, and my friend was like, oh, okay, I can do that. And my friend, he he drove over to his parishioner's home to meet his dad. And when he got there, his dad, who was super skeptical and, and just totally, I don't know if he even was really wanting to meet with this pastor or not, but everything changed for him. And he was really excited to talk to him about the gospel. Why? Because my friend, this pastor, he rolled up to the house 
in his car, but his car was a beater. His car was so old and busted that like junkyards probably didn't even want it. It was that bad. And when this man who thought that the gospel in the church was about money saw him pulling up to their home in this car that he, he, would, he wouldn't drive, it totally changed his perspective. And he was willing and open to listen to him, talk to him about the gospel and about Jesus. And, and that's what Paul is saying here. That if there's anything, if, if people are gonna think that finances, that the gospel is about money, then I'm gonna give up this right in order that more people may come to know Christ. That's why he didn't take finances. But he goes on to establish his right to it. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? In the Old Testament, the Levites and the priests, when they were serving in the temple of God, they were spending all their time serving in the temple of God. This is why when people brought sacrifices to the temple, part of it oftentimes was given to the priest so that he could support his own family with that meat or that grain. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So he's saying not only in the Old Testament, but even Jesus commanded this, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Where, you might ask? Well, there's different places where he taught this. For example, in Luke chapter 10, he said to his disciples, when he sent them out to go and preach the gospel, cast out demons, um, and to heal the sick, he said, and remain in the same house. When you, go, when you go into a town, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Jesus made this principle clear as well, right? The laborer deserves his wages. And Paul himself was not against receiving financial support if it didn't stumble people. He said in the second letter to Corinthians, he said, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to support you. So Paul's not against taking support. He's saying, because you Corinthians, because of what's happening specifically here in the Corinthian environment, I am not taking any finances from you guys. Other churches are supporting me so that I can minister to you free of charge here. We know that Paul received support from the Philippian church as well. So Paul is not against financial support. So in verses 1 through 14, Paul is establishing that he is an apostle. And he is talking about, here is a right that I have. I have a right to receive financial support from you, Corinthians. But I am giving up that right. I am not making use of that right. Why? For the sake of others. Because if there are people who will walk away from the gospel because they think it's about money, if they won't listen to me because they think it's about money, because they see some other people out there, unscrupulous characters, and they can tell that this is about money, if that's going to keep them from the gospel, I want them to see somebody who's doing it for free. And I want that to speak to them. I want them to give me an audience, a hearing, because I'm not taking any finances. I don't want anybody to be stumbled because I want them to hear the gospel message. So those are the rights 
his right that he's establishing and how he is laying that down and surrendering that. Now, in verses 15 down to 23, he talks about the reward that he gains for doing this, for doing so. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So Paul's saying, hey, you know, I don't want there to be any confusion here. Just in case any of you think, oh, Paul's writing this letter to ask for money. That's why he's all heated. He's getting all steamed because we're, we haven't been supporting him. And look at him. He's trying, to, he's trying to get money out of us. No, no, no. I want to make sure that nobody is thinking that. I'd rather die than take a penny from you. Okay, so he's making that super clear. Why? Because he says, if, if I take financial support from you, it deprives me of my ground for boasting. Now, what is this boasting that Paul is talking about? What is he boasting in? Is this boasting kind of like saying, look at me, I'm such a martyr. I'm so hungry. I'm willing to sacrifice so much. Look at me, what a saint that I am. Is that Paul's boasting here? That's, I don't think that's what Paul's boasting is. But there is something he's able to boast in. And in verses 16 through 18, he explains. Now, these are, these are difficult, challenging verses, and there are different views and understandings of what Paul is saying here. And I'm going to share with you what I, think, what I think he means by this. But he goes on, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me! If I do not preach the gospel, what's Paul saying there in verse 16? I think what he's saying is this. He's saying, look, when I, when I minister to you, Corinthians, when I preach the gospel, when I teach, when I build up this church, when I do all of that, I have no right to boast. I have nothing to boast in. Why? Because I have to. Necessity is laid upon me. Because Jesus appeared to me, a persecutor of the church, when I was on the Damascus road, and, and, and he spoke to me, and he told me that I was to be his instrument to bring the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his calling upon my life. Woe to me if I don't do that. How in the world could I not do that? How in the world could I resist God's call upon me and say, no, no thank you? Man, that, to, to go out and to preach the gospel around the Mediterranean, that is just my basic duty. That's basic. That is basic. That is what I have to do. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. But then he says in verse 17, well, here in 16, so he says, I have no reason to boast because of that. And, and here's an example of what um, he means by that. Jesus in Luke 17 he said this, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. 
We have only done what was our duty. Paul, Paul, in the same spirit as Jesus is teaching in Luke 17, is saying, I am just a servant. For me to preach the gospel around the Mediterranean and to do what I'm doing here in Corinth, this is, this is just basic. This is my calling. This is my responsibility. Woe to me if I don't do this. This is what God has entrusted to me. This is my stewardship. So in 17, he says, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So what is he saying here? This is confusing. What is he saying? He's saying, if I do this of my own will, what I think he means is, if I don't receive any financial remuneration, if I don't receive any support from all of you, if I do this of my own will, voluntarily, I gain a reward. I gain something. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. So if I receive financial support for doing this, this is still something I'm supposed to be doing. Paul's saying that all of this ministry that I'm doing here in Corinth, it's basic, man. This is what God has called me to do and I'm supposed to be doing. I don't get a pat on the back for being a servant of God. We're all servants of God. But then, how do I really gain a reward? How do I have something to boast in? He said, this is how. I do what I do free of charge. I don't receive anything. I serve as a soldier at my own expense. I'm like that ox treading out the grain, but I don't even eat of it. This is how I go above and beyond and gain a reward. Now, what is this reward? There are a couple of rewards here, I think, that Paul is talking about. What is this reward? Here's the first thing he says. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What is Paul saying? This sounds really confusing. It sounds very circular. So it's, like, it's like if we read this, it can sound like Paul saying, what reward do I get for preaching the gospel for free? My reward is that I get to preach the gospel for free. What is my reward in preaching the gospel for free? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. Now, this sounds very, very circular, but, but that's not what Paul means by that. It's something much deeper than that. What Paul means by this, for Paul, his reward in preaching the gospel free of charge is this. He gets to show the world how good and precious the gospel is that I don't even need to be paid to do this. That's how good it is to know Jesus, to be a servant. I don't need to be paid. For Paul, that is a privilege. You know this boasting that he talked about before, 
something to boast in. What Paul was saying is that, no, I don't want any money. The word boasting can also be translated glorying, right? You know how Paul talks about boasting? Oftentimes he says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What he's saying is, don't give me any money because I want to boast to the world about how great Jesus is. I want this world to know that this is so good, that it is such a privilege for me to do this. I would pay to serve as a soldier in Jesus's army. I want the world to see that. That is my reward. My reward, Paul is saying, is I get to live out the gospel truth, the preciousness of the gospel to everybody around me. That's my reward. That is my joy. Could you imagine if you were talking to a friend of yours and, and you were talking to him about his job and he says, man, I love my job. I love my work. And you say, oh, yeah? Cool, they must pay you really well. And he said, no, man, they don't pay me at all. You say, what? They don't pay you? Man, what kind of snack bar do they have there? It must be so good. It's like, no, 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 they don't pay me because I don't want to be paid. They try to pay me, actually, but I don't want to be paid because if they were to pay me money, it would actually put a price tag on the work that I'm doing, but it is so incredible what I get to do. I would never cheapen it by taking money, by taking a paycheck from them. Now, obviously, we would say, you're crazy, man. You are crazy. Who would do that? But wouldn't you be curious? Doesn't it say, it sounds better than your job, right? It sounds better than your job. You'd be curious. What, what is it that is so good that if they tried to pay you, you wouldn't even take it because it would cheapen what you're doing in the eyes of the world? That's what Paul is saying here. Man, my reward in doing this is letting the world know that I don't need any reward to do this. God is so good. I would pay to be a soldier in his army. I would pay to be his servant. That is my reward. Now, he, he, you see, this is, this is such a, a contrast here because the Corinthians were saying, Paul, you are of no worth. You are not an apostle because you are not taking money. Paul is flipping that around. He's saying, no, no, no. I am not taking money because I want to declare the unbelievable worth of Jesus Christ. That is my pay. That is my remuneration. That was Paul's heartbeat. I want to be a living example of how good the gospel is. He goes on, though, and this is moving into another aspect of the reward that he receives. He says, for though I am free from all, I'm not taking any money. I am not under any financial constraint or obligation to anybody. I am free from all. Even though I am free from all, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm not a slave. I'm, a free, from, I'm free from everybody. I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. Even though I am completely free, I am laying down all of my rights, any of my rights. I'm not holding on to any of them 
for the sake of winning more people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not taking financial remuneration in the hopes that more people would see the sincerity of my preaching and come to know the gospel. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, not, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Paul knew he had every right to not live under Old Testament law anymore. But when he was going around with his spiritual son, Timothy, to preach the message of the gospel to the Jews, he knew that the Jews would say, Timothy is not circumcised. His father is a Greek, is a pagan. We are not going to listen to him. Paul said, Timothy, get circumcised. Get it circumcised. It doesn't matter. Let's just do it. Let's remove that obstacle. We will become more like a Jew so that they will receive us and the message of the gospel. We will become like them. Maybe Timothy was like, that's easy for you to say, Paul. But definitely, that was, that was Paul's heart. I believe he was sincere. We can become like a Jew to the Jew in order to win the Jews to Christ. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law to the Gentiles. Paul said to them, you don't need to eat kosher. That was the Old Testament law. Now it is about faith in Christ. Paul was willing to have table fellowship with them. He was willing to eat with them. He was willing to eat pork and, and do all of those things in order that he might win them to Christ. When he was in uh, Athens on Mars Hill, he quoted their pagan philosophers and poets in order to, to speak to them, to meet them where they were, to become like a Gentile to the Gentiles in order to win more of them to Christ. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul is saying, I am willing to surrender any and all of my rights. I'll do whatever it takes in order that more people may know the love of Jesus. I'm willing to lay them all down. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Here is another aspect, another facet of the reward that Paul received. Not financial remuneration, but another thing that made Paul tick, that made him give up his rights is that for him, the reward was to share the blessings of the gospel with other people. For Paul, the reward was people. That was the reward for him. That he could see more people knowing the love of God. And that gave him such joy that he was willing to lay down all of his rights in order to be able to share the blessings of the gospel with others. He said in 1 Thessalonians, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What is my reward? What is my crown? It's you. To see you know the gospel and to be a fellow partaker with me in its blessings. For Paul, the joy of sharing in the goodness of God with others was a reward in and of itself. 
That was the reward for Paul. Seeing other people cross over from death into life, seeing people go from hopelessness to hope, seeing people go from enemies of God to becoming adopted as sons and daughters of God. That was what gave Paul joy. And he wanted to be able to say with others together, isn't it great? Isn't it amazing to be a child of God? You know, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I love food. I love delicious food. But you know something that gives me more joy than tasting delicious food? It's seeing my kids taste delicious food. When I can, we were in Mexico this past week on vacation, and you know, I ate some great tacos, some tacos that I, I ate, and I was like, man, I'm gonna be so sad in the Bay Area. That good, kind of a carnitas taco, a guisado taco, different kinds of tacos. I'm getting sidetracked here. But I would bite into it. It was so delicious. But you know what gave me more joy? Is seeing my kids. My daughter, Audrey, who is a foodie and not easily impressed by food. She is a foodie. To see her bite into that same carnitas taco and go, mmm. And I'm like, yes. She rarely reacts like that. But for her eyes to light up, I, I took more pleasure out of seeing her enjoy that taco than I took out of eating the taco. That's the truth. That's the truth. Paul, for Paul, his reward was seeing other people share in the blessings of the gospel. His reward was to be able to be together with others in knowing Jesus Christ. This was why Paul pursued the gospel ministry the way that he did, why he was willing to be beaten and stoned and shipwrecked again and again and again. It was for these rewards. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible talks about heavenly reward, and that is a good thing. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. Heavenly reward is a good thing, and it's something that we should look forward to by serving God. It is something that we should think about. But for Paul, there is something deeper here as well. There is something, I believe that there is something where for Paul, even if Paul was to, even if you were to say to Paul, Paul, you will not receive any treasure in heaven for what you do. Paul, for him, it, something happened so much deeper in his heart that I believe he would have said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. For me, my reward is being able to be a living example of the goodness of the gospel to this world. For me, the reward is seeing other people experience that as well. And that, for me, would be enough. Paul experienced something, I believe, deeper that led him to be willing to suffer and to sacrifice and to give up his rights in the way that he did. Now here, in closing, this last passage, 24 through 27, Paul ends here with an exhortation to the Corinthians. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul here ends this this, um, chapter here with uh, an illustration from uh, the games, the Greek games. And, And the Corinthians would have been very familiar with this because every two years, right near Corinth, there were games called the Ist. I can't pronounce Isthmus game. I S T H M U S. Isthmus games every two years. Now these were these were really really important games. Second only to the Olympic games in in the Greek in the Greek world. So this was so the Corinthians were like sports fanatics. In the, in the, they were like ESPN watchers of the ancient times, right? 2,000 years ago. So Paul used an illustration that they would all understand. And he says to them that, you know, in, in the races here, don't you know that all of the runners run in the race, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. What is Paul talking about here? Is he saying that Christian life is a competition? That only, you know, you got to look at other Christians as your competition and you got to beat them out? That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is you need to treat life, the Christian life, as if it were a race and there is only one person who gets to win it, who gets the prize. That should be your mentality. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Christian, run, run, run after Jesus. Pursue him in such a way. Lay down your rights. Lay it all down for the sake of others. Pursue God in such a way as if there were only one prize. That's how you run. Can you imagine if if everybody got on the starting line and, you know, the gun goes off and they just kind of all stroll because, oh, you know, we all get a prize, participation trophy, whatever it might be. Paul's like, no, that's not what happens. You know what happens in the game. Games In the games, only one person gets that prize. And you need to live the Christian life in that way, to run, to run as if there was only one prize. Brothers and sisters, man, how we need to hear that. Because so many Christians... We live Christian life as if it were a pass-fail exam. That's how so many people live the Christian life. Oh, you know, as long as I, I, um, as long as I make it in the end, I cross the finish line, as long as I get into heaven, as long as I do enough where I maintain my relationship with Jesus and I keep my faith in, in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, I know he died for my sins, and I show up at church once in a while, I'll cross that finish line. We treat life like a pass-fail exam. Paul's saying, no, that's not the Christian life. Treat it like a race, as if only one person won. Run, Christian. Run with all of your heart. Lay down your rights for the sake of others. Say no to your fleshly appetite. Even the athletes, they go into 
strict, strict training. To compete in the Isthmus Games, you need to do, go into strict training for 10 months or else you could be disqualified. If any of you are athletes or were athletes or no athletes, you know what that means. It means you need to, to watch what you eat. You, just, you need to say no to the burgers and fries. You need to be strict with your body. It means you need to go to sleep at a certain time and say no to, to hanging out late with your friends. When they're going out, you got to go to sleep because you got to get rest. It means getting up early so that you can train. You discipline yourself. You say no to so many other things in this world. You exercise self-control so that you can run this race. For Paul, that meant disciplining our bodies. That means keeping it under self-control. That means laying down our freedoms and our rights for the sake of others. It means going deeper. Hey, Corinthians, you know you want to go to that temple because you just want to enjoy life. You just want to go eat this meat. You just want to go indulge your passions. Say no to those things. Exercise self-control for the sake of running this race. This is um, difficult for so many of us to hear and to really wrap our heads around because don't we so often, without even thinking about it, in what we're doing, in our jobs and making money and what we're pursuing, we're trying to have a life where we don't have to deny ourselves of anything. We, 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 we want to be able to have all the things that we want to. This makes it really hard to accept Jesus' teaching when he said, if anybody would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You need to surrender your rights. You need to lay all of those down for the sake of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we have so many rights. You have every right to live in a wealthy country like America. But maybe some of you, in, in running the race, you will surrender that right and you will take up the call to move to a place that is not as wealthy or maybe even very poor for the sake of the joy of bringing the gospel to other people, for the sake of showing the world around you that you are willing to reverse immigration patterns because the gospel is that good and so worth it to be an example of the gospel to others. You have every right to use your vacation time, to go and enjoy yourself, and, and maybe you need a good break and, and rest. That's totally legit. But maybe, maybe God will put it on your heart to lay down that right. Maybe you'll go with us to Guatemala this summer because you want to serve people there. You want to help the gospel to expand, the kingdom to advance in Guatemala through the AMI International School, through La Gracia Church. You have every right to use your money to, to, to satisfy every want that you may have and to, to surround yourself with nice things. Nobody's counting. Nobody's telling you what percent you need to give to God, what percent you can spend on yourself. Nobody's keeping track in that sense. You have, you have so much leeway. You have all these rights. But some of you may surrender those rights and choose instead to use your resources to care for others and to help other people come to know Christ. 
You have every right to come to church and just look for people that you can connect with, that you would have fun with, and that you would really resonate with and surround yourself with friends like that. But some of you may lay down those rights in order to love and connect with people different from you so that people can see the unity that the gospel can bring. Some of you will lay down those rights so that you can love somebody who really needs to be loved. And you will lay down your own rights to have your social needs met because there's somebody that you feel like you need to really love and show the love of Jesus to. Or brothers and sisters, maybe it's as simple as running with purpose and saying no to our fleshly appetite that wants to go to that temple to eat that food. For some of you, it might mean disciplining your body and running this race like an athlete. Maybe it means a renewed commitment to prayer in God's word. Maybe it means changing your schedule in your life to make time for reading of God's word in prayer. Maybe it means you're going to pick up Christian books that will help you to grow. Maybe it means you're going to cut out some entertainment or video games from your life in order to be able to spend more time on your relationship with God or the kingdom of God. Maybe it means reconciling with somebody who you know that there is, dissent, there is division in your relationship for the sake of the gospel. Maybe it means scrutinizing your budget with stewardship in mind. Maybe it means not just attending church, but being a part of the church. Maybe it means repenting of pursuing a, per a perishable wreath and asking God to help you run after an imperishable one. You know that wreath that they would get? You know, for periods of Corinthian history, if they won 10 months of training, 10 months of saying no to cookies and fries and whatever it was that they ate. If they won, they would get a wreath made of celery. Celery stalks. I don't know why they chose celery. I would have chosen something else. But they, a wreath of celery. That's what they discipline themselves and work so hard for. Paul says, man, don't work for a perishable wreath. Work for an imperishable one. Christian, let us run. Do you feel, like Paul says in verse 26, are you running aimlessly? If I were to ask you, what is the purpose of your life? Would you be able to answer that clearly? I know the purpose of my life is to pursue God in this way, and, and this is what I'm doing, this is how I'm trying to grow, this is the sin I'm seeking to overcome so that I can make the most of my life for God. Is that what you'd be able to say? Even if you don't know all the answers, I'm praying hard, I'm trying to pursue God, would your answer be like, uh, I don't, that's an intense question, Ulysses. No wonder maybe you feel like you're running aimlessly and you don't have a sense of direction and purpose in your life. Paul says, brother, sister, let us run. Let us surrender our rights. May your desire, may my desire be that, Lord, I want my life to look like the gospel. That's my goal. I will surrender everything so that my life becomes a living example of the gospel because that's what Jesus' life was. He didn't, there was no gain for him in dying for us. He didn't need us. He didn't need anything. The father didn't need to send his son but he did it because of the joy of being able to call us his brothers and his sisters. 
for the joy of God being able to say that we are his children. He did it out of love.